What I'm really excited about is affordable, resilient, reliable SATCOM, right? SATCOM that I can use in emergencies. Uh, SATCOM that maybe for smaller embassies, I can use as part of my daily business. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, promoting democracy with technology. How the State Department is navigating today's rapidly changing technology landscape. It's Tuesday, September 21st, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. It's the question at the top of everybody's minds. Come October 1st, will there be a government shutdown? While that remains to be seen, top tech executives from industry were on Capitol Hill this week telling lawmakers that if they can't pass a spending bill by the start of fiscal year 2024, there will be major consequences for the cyber defenses of the U.S. government. Testifying during a House Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Protection Subcommittee hearing, the executives from CrowdStrike, CGI Federal, Armis, and Intrusion said there would be major impacts and delays to key government cyber projects in that scenario, as agencies would at the very least not be able to start new programs in a continuing resolution. And in the case of a shutdown, which would send non-essential staff home until some sort of appropriations agreement is made, cybersecurity operations would be drastically limited. Brian Gumbel, president of cyber intelligence platform company Armis, said during the hearing, quote, the longer we delay, the longer our adversaries will have a chance to get in front of us. So delays are just terrible for this nation, and it's going to cause some major impact. Meanwhile, some lawmakers are working in the best interest of federal technology as the shutdown clock ticks. Representatives Nancy Mace and Jerry Connolly of the House Oversight Committee this week introduced a bill that would sustain the Technology Modernization Fund through at least 2030. The bill, called the Modernizing Government Technology Reform Act of 2023, essentially revises the law from 2017 that launched the TMF. Already, the committee has marked up the bill and passed it out of committee and on to consideration by the full House. One notable aspect of the bill, it would require any funds issued to be repaid or reimbursed to maintain solvency and ensure sustainability of the fund. Lawmakers have been critical in recent years of the TMF allowing repayment flexibility for some agencies and projects. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. FedScoop hosted its annual Fed Talks on September 6th in Washington, D.C. Now in its 14th year, the event is the largest annual gathering of C-level executives, leaders, and innovators from government and the tech community. Dr. Kelly Fletcher, the CIO of the State Department, took the stage during the day's events to detail how her office is working to support democracy and diplomacy across the globe using modern technology. From antiquated networks to outdated communication devices, Fletcher described some areas she has been targeting with modernization since taking the role last fall. Listen in now to what Fletcher shared during her Fed talk. So uh, I've been at the State Department for about a year as the CIO, uh, and I'm super honored to be here to talk about it with you all. And also, I'm honestly super honored to be the CIO at the State Department. Uh, our mission is to promote uh, democracy. Really? Uh, it is an awesome mission. So I'm so proud to be there. Um, and I feel like I'm there in a time of like 
really big technical change. Like this is a truly unique time in the world. Um, and that's, you know, that what's make the job so exciting and so hard. Uh, and then I look a little bit at history. So State Department, we have a lot of historians and I'm gonna give you just a little bit of history. So the first Secretary of State, I think many of us know, uh, Thomas Jefferson. And he had four clerks, one translator and a messenger. And we had two embassies, uh, one in London and one in Paris. So today, 200 and some years later, um, we have about 100,000 people. And our ratio of messengers is much lower. We've reduced messengers dramatically. Um, we're at about 191 countries, and we have 275 locations. So a huge change to the scope of what we do. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about technology. So in the past, right, this messenger, and now we've moved to a digital environment. But even in the past 50 years, or even actually in my like work life, in the past like 30 or 40 years, we've seen huge changes. So I sat down with someone who had been at state for a really long time yesterday, and I said, tell me about your first embassy. Tell me about your first post. What did you have there? Uh, and she told me, well, we had computers. We had WAN computers, and we had two of them for a staff of 50. And I said, okay, that's, that's different. They didn't have the internet, as you can imagine. Uh, and then I asked about phones. We're working really hard to modernize telephones today. And so I said, what were you doing back then? And I'll be honest with you all, I didn't totally understand uh, what she was saying. She said, to make a phone call, it involved a cashier, um, it involved a booth, and then you would talk only very briefly because it was extremely expensive. And I just thought to myself like, wow, like, I think there's been a lot of change in the past 10 years. And then if you look at the past several decades, it's, it's pretty amazing. So uh, with all this new technology, I think, you know, there's a lot of power in it, right? It's awesome. We can do all kinds of cool stuff that we couldn't do before. And my customers, these diplomats at the State Department, they have, you know, they have a computer in their hand every day at home. That's what they're using to drive diplomacy. They have a phone that they're using to engage. It's a very relationship-based organization. Um, and they know how to engage with a phone, and they have really good technology just sort of organically and natively, personally. Um, but the other thing is, all of these improvements in technology make it easier for our adversaries to craft more sophisticated attacks. So uh, it's getting harder and harder to defend our networks, it's getting harder and harder to defend our data, and this is more and more how we communicate and do our mission. So with that, when I look at, you know, what are we trying to do at State, what we're trying to do is really couple improved user experience, right? Users have an expectation that things will be easy, they'll be intuitive, they'll be able to make a call. Whether they're in Bogota or Paris, they're gonna be able to call back to DC, they're gonna be able to call locally, they're gonna be able to call Paris from Bogota. They expect that, and they need that to do their job. Um, and then the other thing is, we can't just improve user experience without thinking about cybersecurity. So when I first showed up at State, I said, I'm gonna focus on cybersecurity. And my boss, who's a diplomat, said, I love that. Um, and also, also what you're gonna focus on is improving user experience. Yeah, that was, I was, but it was good feedback. So I'm gonna talk about two initiatives today where I think we've successfully coupled user experience with um, improved cybersecurity. So the first one is our network. Um, I would say when we architected the network, we did exactly the right thing all of the traffic, it doesn't matter where you are, you're in Nairobi, uh, you're in Amman, all that traffic is gonna get hoovered back to DC. 
and, and we're going to inspect it, and that's the only way we can know what's going on. Uh, and I'll tell you, I think that made sense at the time, and we got a couple problems with it. The first one is, um, you know, we're in London, and we're also in places where our diesel fuel is being siphoned. We are at the end of an island chain where we are drinking the internet through a straw. Uh, we are in places where it is really, really hard um, to get good internet coverage to do your job. And then when you add on top of it that we're hoovering all the traffic back to DC wherever, before it goes wherever it has to go, which may not be DC, um, it's really hard to do your job. So as we look to redesign our network, we want traffic to go where it's supposed to go first. The other thing we're doing is looking at where we're storing data. Um, very frankly, we organically grew up. There are some systems that are in regional centers. There are some that are in um, big State Department data centers. There are some that are in commercial centers. Then we have stuff on the edge. And I actually think that we're going to continue to use all of those locations. I'm going to have data on the edge. I'm going to have it regionally. I'm going to have it in commercial environments. Uh, I'm going to have it in State Department environments. But the way that this grew up was not intentional. Uh, and so what that means is it's maybe not the data that I need on the edge that is on the edge. Uh, and so because of that, as we work um, to, to reconfigure, re-architect our network, to really rebuild our network, um, we have to think very carefully and very intentionally about what information we store where. The other thing with respect to networks I just want to touch on is uh, emergency comms. So when I got to the State Department uh, 10, 11 months ago, I had never been in a US embassy. And I was really passionate about the mission. But very honestly, um, I didn't understand that part of what we do is when there is an emergency, when things go really wrong somewhere, uh, we have diplomats there. They're in 191 countries. Uh, and sometimes we have to get them out of there. Sometimes we have to evacuate. So uh, my first experience with that was Sudan. I was in DC, but we had IT pros in Sudan. And every day I woke up and I uh, communicated with them. I made sure they could still communicate. Is your phone working? Are the cell towers up? Is the internet working? We're in places where the government will turn off the internet. Um, and honestly, because they are such professionals, they had amazing comms. It was to the point where I was sending information that was maybe not you know, emergency related, but like, hey, how's it going? I was just, you know, a lot of just check-in. They had full comms. Uh, but when I think to the future, we can't count on that. We got a little bit lucky there in some ways. Uh, and what I'm really excited about is affordable, resilient, reliable SATCOM, right? SATCOM that I can use in emergencies. Uh, SATCOM that maybe for smaller embassies I can use as part of my daily business. Uh, I think it's going to fundamentally change how we engage with each other and how we think about getting data where it needs to go. I am almost out of time. I'm going on and on. So, I'm going to cut to the next thing. The second thing is tech for life. And tech for life, very simply put, is we are, it's a process change. We're taking advantage of technology, but laptops aren't really new. Um, what we are doing is we're enabling laptops, phones, to be associated with individuals, not with the location that they are from. So if you're in Bogota, your laptop is now like the Bogota laptop. You leave Bogota, and then you're traveling to uh, you know, Bangkok. For a while there, you don't have any State Department um, you know, IT equipment. That's a bad answer. So what we're doing is we're associating it with the individual. Um, the other thing that enables me to do is right now, and I think all of us who run large enterprises, know that regional resourcing can influence uh, your refresh rate. 
And so I recently, I was talking to a bunch of ambassadors and I was talking about how cool it is that we can use SATCOM even on some iPhones today. You know, that's the SOS button. And uh, this ambassador came up to me and said like, oh, I'm interested in this. How does this work? Can you show me? And then she pulled out her, I'm embarrassed, her State Department phone. And it was from seven years ago. So it, it didn't have this. And I said, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to help you out here, bud. So this just shows that we don't have consistent refresh across the enterprise. And that hurts us from a user experience and a cybersecurity perspective. So I have 10 seconds, which I'm going to use to say, I really appreciate your attention. Uh, I'm so flattered to have been here. And uh, thank you very much for your partnership as we work through this. You can learn more about the State Department's IT mission at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back again next week with some brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host as always, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.